0: Hosea chapter 1, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel. For in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name No-mercy. For I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow, or by sword, or by war, or by horses, or by horsemen. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, it shall be said to them, Children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land. For great shall be the day of Jezreel. Amen. You may be seated.
1: Well, not your most obvious Valentine's Day weekend scripture reading. (laughs) Uh, You remember, we're uh, looking at one of those sermons in the series uh, Biblical Answers to Life's Big Questions, and we're tackling love, sex, and God from Hosea chapter 1. And having said it's not the typical uh, Valentine's Day weekend passage, it's not the kind of thing you'd expect to find printed on a Hallmark greeting card that you bought for your girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, or wife this weekend. (laughs) Uh, it's actually very uh, appropriate and important uh, whether we are single or married, and uh, we'll see that. Um, And I need to set the scene a little bit before we um, set the context a little bit before we get into the actual passage in terms of the story arc of the Bible. You may remember last week that I shared that when we were running a Christian meeting at a um, high school, uh, some of us were trying to uh, get some Attention to this Christian meeting, and so what we decided to do was put up a poster all over the campus with one big word in capital uppercase letters, SEX, and underneath in rather small writing, now we have got your attention, let me uh, tell you about the Bible study on Thursday. And uh, actually, in a certain kind of way, that's pretty much what Hosea is doing. Um, And to see that, I need to show you a little bit about this story arc of the Bible about sex and marriage. Just a couple of instances of that, that well-known passage in Ephesians chapter 5, which is often read out at weddings, Paul talks about marriage, um, but what he says there at the end is actually I'm talking about Christ's love for the church. So when we see a godly Christian marriage, when we see the respect the wife has for a husband, when we see the sacrificial love that a husband has for his wife, what we are sensing viscerally in our gut, Paul says, is the kind of love that God has for his people. Another instance in this story arc about the love, sex and uh, and marriage and God that we're thinking about this morning is in the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon. We had it sung for us so beautifully, excerpts from it, uh, this, uh, this service earlier in the service. One of the old debates about that Old Testament book, The Song of Solomon, is whether it is about love and sex and marriage or whether actually it's about our relationship to God. And the answer, of course, is it's about both. So The Song of Songs is about sex and marriage. Um, When Rochelle and I got married, we had um, parts of that book read out for us at our wedding by a newly wed couple. And I can tell you by the look on their faces as they read out that passage, it was definitely about sex and marriage. Uh, They were blushing as they talked about big bunches of grapes and tall towers and all the rest. But on the other hand, sex and marriage in the story arc of the Bible is actually about something else. God's love for his people. Now, Hosea is working within that whole story. Obviously, it's in the Old Testament, but uh, in Genesis chapter 2, God declared sex and marriage good. And then when he reached out to his people with his covenant love for them, a sort of marriage covenant love, Hesed is the Hebrew word for it, loyal love. Uh, that's revealed in Scripture, and Hosea is working within that overall rubric, that overall story uh, that is told throughout the Bible of God's relationship to his people. The one is related to the other. When we have um, polygamous, spiritual Relationship to many different gods in polytheistic kind of ways, we will tend to have polygamous human relationships as a reflection. You can see this throughout human history. Um, pagan society with its many gods, the, the, the Roman Empire, as marriages broke down, as they became less and less cohesive, then society broke down, and they had fewer and fewer children, and then they had to hire mercenaries to protect them as their population declined, and then those mercenaries turned on them and fought against them, and the Roman Empire uh, came to a crashing end. So marriage is a cohesive glue to society, but it's even more than that. It's a mystery, Paul's technical word for it, that which was hidden but is now revealed in Christ. A message that constantly points to God's love for his people. Now, one final word about this text before we get into it. There's obviously some warning in it, but it ends on a note of hope, And whether you're single or married. Now, let's get into it then. Hosea chapter 1. It's basically structured in three parts. Verse 1 is the situation. Then verses 2 to 9 is the sign And then the solution in verses 10 and 11. Situation, sign, and solution. I promise I won't have three points each beginning with the same letter for at least another month. So first the situation. This is verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah. Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. These would have been well-known names to them at the time, a bit like saying in the time of Clinton or Reagan or Bush or Obama, it would have immediately conjured up pictures in their mind of certain situations. And the situation is about 700 years or so before the birth of Jesus. The country is split between north and the south. And there had been a very prosperous time in the days of Jeroboam for the uh, people of the north. The economy had done well. There have been decades and decades of easy living. And as so often happens when there is prosperity, decadence. Had begun, and so God's people began worshiping a pagan god known at the time as Baal. B a a l. Baal can mean husband as well as master, and Hosea is playing with these meanings of the the name for Baal. Baal was a fertility god. So the idea was probably that if you perform certain rituals, including temple prostitution, then you were going to get a good harvest. It was a sort of perverted logical connection between literal physical copulation with temple prostitutes and fertility of field and harvest. Now, they were probably also still nominally worshipping the God of the Bible at the same time. But the thinking was, if you really wanted to get practical and make the economy do well, then for that you needed Baal. Jesus for church. Baal for the economy. It's what missionaries call syncretism it's what sociologists in america call postmodern relativistic pluralism let's have a more diversity of thoughts we're not abandoning the god of the bible well no we we're, we're, we're just going to keep all these other ideologies happy as well surely that's prudent in our pluralistic society Surely that is the more sophisticated path. Surely that will keep them more happy on the east coast at Yale and Harvard. In the end, uh, the northern kingdom was uh, captured by the local superpower, Assyria, and Hosea's warnings were proven true, and so his teaching was written down and recorded by his disciples. That was the situation. A time of prosperity that was breeding spiritual decay that would, if not repented of, lead to political disaster. And people say the Bible is not relevant. Is it not true that the Western Church has been immersed in decades of prosperity ever since the end of World War II? And in that delicate balance to which we are all called as followers of Jesus, of being in the world, but not of the world, many in the West have become too materialistic, too worldly. And are we not now beginning to see economic and political problems as a result? But they didn't see the problem. Many people don't see it today either. I mean, what's wrong with a little bit of bail here and there? How could that harm anyone? And so God commands his prophet to enact a most dramatic sign. He wants to wake them up. And this sign is recorded in verses 2 to 9. In plain terms, God told Hosea to marry a prostitute. It's shocking. It was designed to be so. Was uh, this uh, prostitute Goma a, a prostitute when Hosea married her or did she become one later? We don't know. Some think it would be less shocking if she became a prostitute after they were married. I've never been convinced by that idea. For God is sovereign and he knew what was going to happen and still commanded Hosea to go ahead anyway. And Hosea was still the recipient of the divine command to marry an unfaithful woman and to his eternal honor trustingly obeyed God. For Hosea is to play the part of God, God's relationship to his adulterous people with his own relationship to an adulterous wife. Uh, Their children are also part of the sign. Uh, You would have noticed they have three children. The first was called Jezreel. Jezreel was originally a flat area of land where ancient battles with large armies uh, could uh, could take place. It was famous for one particularly brutal um, massacre performed by King Jehu when he came to power. At Jezreel, he had killed every possible rival in a sort of mafia, Sopranos, Al Capone Valentine's Day massacre. And so God says He's going to break the bow of Israel. That is the bow that Jehu used at that Valentine's Day massacre. Well, that's the first child. The next child is called No Mercy. Just think about this for a moment. This is the prophet Hosea, who was, by the way, the greatest of the twelve so-called minor prophets. He's at the head of the section of minor prophets in the Hebrew Bible for a reason. He is one who much influenced the great prophet Jeremiah. He's a bit like a famous pastor who everyone quotes in all their sermons. Huge spiritual influence Hosea had. Can you imagine going to that pastor's church? And uh, his child is wandering off in the back of the church, and uh, he he calls out, um, No mercy! And then the third child, most shockingly of all, is called Not My People. There's a um, play on words at the end of verse 9. You may remember that in biblical history, God rescued his people from Egypt through the hand of Moses, and God appeared to Moses in a burning bush, and he said to Moses, Tell them that I am sent you. Yahweh sent you. I am sent you. And here at the end of verse 9... By the sign of this child, not my people, literally it is, I am no longer, I am to you. Now, again, can you imagine going to the church of that famous pastor and his child is wandering around the church somewhere and he calls out and says, Not my people! It is shocking. A shocking sign. But some churches, some Christian denominations, some Christian institutions need shock therapy. There are Christian organizations that look good on the outside, but are rotting within because they have abandoned their exclusive commitment to the God of the Bible. Oh, they still use the jargon. They still say they are following the great I am, but they're also following the gods of pragmatism. Political correctness. Relativistic pluralism. What Hosea is saying, what God is saying through Hosea is that the marriages of that kind, that kind of ideological marriage, the children of that marriage will not be Christian. People do not get out of bed early in the morning to go to church. They they don't give their money and their time to institutions and communities that are no different from anything else. If you can be saved by anything other than Jesus, then why bother to give your life to Jesus? For a while, for a few years, you hang on to the old tradition. But the core of it is rotted from inside like a... A wet piece of wood or a bone with cancer ready to break. Let us be frank. We have seen this in once great Christian universities across this country. When you start to say that other gods and other ways are equal, you are at most one generation, the children, one generation away from complete apostasy. After all, God is a jealous God. He's like a husband. And no husband who loves his wife will put up with discovering her copulating with other lovers when he comes back from a business trip. He will not. God will not long bless an organization or a denomination or a church that says that Jesus is just one among many gods. That, that what you call theological diversity says Hosea, by the sign that God commanded him to enact, is actually spiritual adultery. And God will brook no rivals. His covenant is exclusive. And if you try to have God and also have Baal, you will end up with disaster, spiritually, financially, and yes, politically as well. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. God, have mercy on us. That was the sign. God specifically called Hosea to give God's people shock therapy by going to the red light district and marrying a prostitute, having children with her, and declaring by the names of those children the results of the spiritual adultery of God's people. Of course, you say, well, that sounds so harsh. Think about those children being called by those names. Well, those children's names become messages of hope as well throughout the book of Hosea. And as we will see in verses 10 and 11, as we come now to the solution, look down with me once more at your Bibles. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, um, evoking the promise given to Abraham long ago. It's going to be like that, says God. cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. There's going to be a spiritual solution. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and they shall appoint for themselves one head. There's going to be a political solution to this long-lasting division in the country. No more will there be petty, warring parties between political juvenile delinquents arguing over silly things in public. There'll be union around one head. And, not only a spiritual and political, economic. They shall go up from the land. For great shall be the day of Jezreel. Go up as in springing up like a harvest. An economic uh, resurgence. The stock market doing well. For great shall be the day of Jezreel. Jezreel now evoking its meaning, that word of... Scattering, as in sowing. There'll be abundant sowing, and therefore springing up from the land will be a great economic harvest. Spiritual solution, political, economic. Now you say, what does that have to do with uh, my marriage or with uh, me being single? Uh, Say uh, you are single. And you want to be married. But you're not sure where the man of your dreams is. And uh, if you came to see me and talked about this uh, challenge in your life, you might be frank enough to say that most of the men around seem to be more interested in computer games than marriage and babies. Or say you have desires that cannot be fulfilled within a Christian marriage. Or say, your husband is a man who has lost your respect. Oh, You read Ephesians chapter 5 and it says, honor, respect, and submit to your husband and you try, but he is not one you can respect. Or say, your wife no longer is attractive to you. I remember when uh, I was about to get married to Rochelle and uh, I was having breakfast with a mentor, friend of mine, an older friend of mine, an older Christian man, and I was telling him that I was about to propose to this girl. And I expected him to give me a, a pat on the back and say, congratulations, go for it. Instead, he looked at me straight in the eyes and said, Josh, that girl that tonight you're going to take out on a date, the same face you see tonight, you will have to wake up to every single morning for the rest of your life. It's good advice. Is it not in sickness and in health? Is it not until death us do part? Is it not for physical scarring as well as beauty? What is the solution? I have it for you in a sentence, radical personal devotion to Christ. Look, if you think sex is the ultimate experience, it's the be-all and end-all. If you actually think that, then if you're, you know, reasonably well-disciplined and you come from a good family, you may be able to, as it were, cross your legs and keep your zipper up for a season. But at some point, I guarantee, you will stray. If you think that sex is the ultimate experience, that's where you're going to go. But if you think Christ is what sex is really all about, if you think the sign is fulfilled in Christ himself, then you'll be able to be faithful, honorable, holy, whether married or single. You say, well, it's easy for you to say, Pastor, you're a pastor. Look, you know, I'm also a man, in case you hadn't noticed. You know, I'm... I know that you don't like to think about pastors actually being male, but I am. I only stand here by the sovereign grace and mercy of God, who has shown me that Jesus is worth everything. So, well, how how do I get there? What does that mean? Well, look at this text again. It's actually quoted uh, twice in the New Testament. I'm not just making this up that it points to Jesus. Uh, This is what the New Testament says. Romans chapter 9, as indeed he says in Hosea, Paul writes, those who are not my people, I will call my people, and her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. This is God's action through Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. How? Through Christ. What does that mean, you say? Okay, here's what it means. It means naming names and agreeing to truth in the inmost parts. If you have a heart sin against God in this area of love or sex, then you need to confess. And that means actually being real enough for God to name names and speak truth. To confess that that occasional visit to that site is pornography. And say it. And name it. And confess it. To confess that you have a growing infatuation with another man who is not your husband and your heart is going that direction and use a biblical word for that, whoredom. Don't spare yourself in this confession. You must be honest before God. Be real. He is a God of love and mercy and will receive those who confess. It means confessing that Jesus is right about this area of life as, as well as any other area. You know, Jesus himself taught on sex and marriage. A text that has been conveniently forgotten by various areas of the church these days, I find. Jesus said, in the beginning they were made male and female and the two shall become one flesh. And what God has brought together, let man not tear apart. Jesus's words... Confess that Jesus knows better about marriage than our culture does. Look, for some here, that is a hard truth to confess. It is deeply personal. I'm a pastor. I've talked to some of you and many people in various places about sexual issues. I understand this is a deeply personal thing for some. But look at it like this. If it is true, if it is true that fully experiencing everything that a human can fully experience, to be fully human and the ideal person, if it is true that you must check off on your bucket list sexual experimentation, If that is true, then Jesus was not fully and perfectly human. But he was. You can have the one signified without the sign. In fact, I have discovered that for some people the sign gets in the way of the real point. And there are people I know who do not have the sign, but their devotion, their experience of Jesus is so rich, so meaningful, and the fruit of their ministry, so profound. They have the real thing. Listen, if you really see who Jesus is, you'll be glad for sex and romantic loves should God give you that, but you'll know that the real thing is Jesus. An idol promises to save you, give you eternal life, and it doesn't. It always fails. Sex will not save you, but if you commit to Him, to Christ, a radical personal devotion to Christ, He will save you. You know, radical personal devotion to Christ. You know, put it down in your notes and look up afterwards radical meaning to the root and personal devotion as in, you know, a heartfelt, thorough commitment. This isn't something to study out there. This is something to actually confess now. Baal is not God. Jesus is God. He is Lord of all. There is none like him. He is not first among equals. He is God. And so, therefore, worship no other. Enjoy him above all. Honor him above all. Love him above all. He is Lord. Glory in him, relish him, be captivated by his love. It's better than jewels, it's better than diamonds, it's better than a million dollars and it is certainly better than sex. You know, this is Jesus. Why get the whole world and lose your soul? Why, why have the sign and not the one signified? See Christ in all his glory. Love him as your husband, as your God, as the, as the love of your life at his feet. Humbly fall. I mean, did, did you not hear that song earlier? I, 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 when it was this is now the third time I've heard that song. We sung from Song of Songs. It's just so profound. It, did you not hear it sung earlier? The rain is over and gone. The winter is passing by. The time of singing has come. The clouds have parted from the sky. Arise, my love. And come away, for lo, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. It's over and gone, my love. Come away, my fair one. Come away. I'm not going to sing. You'll be very glad to know. I was um, much amused when we were in New Haven. And the church was reaching out to all sorts of postmodern people. And uh, at the same time, the liberal churches around us were dying and declining. And we would sometimes have conversations with some of those liberal church leaders, and they, they want to know what we were doing. And uh, we would say, Well, we're preaching the Bible. You know, they thought we had some clever technique. It's like, Well, no. I remember one particular man who said, looked at me after I said that and said, well, you know, we've tried everything else. Maybe we'll try that. (laughs) The Lord bless you. You know, whatever it takes. There was a survey done a few years ago of what unchurched people who become Christians wish that churches had told them. It was not better coffee or different music styles. No. What they wanted the church to do was to speak the truth. If any passage in the Bible speaks the truth, it's Hosea chapter 1. Our culture is obsessed by sex. And it is obsessed by the sign, and it's missing the one signified. Listen Baal is not God, Allah is not God. Jesus is Lord his eyes are like flaming fire his feet are like burnished bronze his mouth is a double edged sword and there is healing in his wings for the real Hosea well you know the story of Jesus don't you A whole bunch of rather overly judgmental men bring to him one woman who's been caught in adultery. What does the law say, teacher? Jesus stops and draws in the sand on the ground. And one by one they all go as they realize what the law says. And they too have broken the law. He stands up and says, is no one left to condemn you? No one, sir. How then does Jesus say, neither do I condemn you? Because he is the real true Hosea. He pursues his adulterous people and takes on himself the penalty that we deserve. She goes and leaves her life of sin at the great cost of the real Hosea's death, sacrifice, and resurrection to glory. And if you see that, Jesus, whether you are single or married... You will give everything to him. He is the pearl of great price. You will deny your very self, as Jesus taught. Not just sex. Your very self, if you see him for who he truly is. Let's pray together. The rain is over and gone the winter is passing by
0: The time of singing is come